We're returning this morning to John chapter 17. This is where we picked up uh, from last week. So I invite you to turn to John 17 with me this morning. A couple of men in a local church at the end of the service were arguing with one another on who knew more about the Scriptures. One of the men said, that's it. I bet you $10 that you don't know what the Lord's Prayer is. The other man said, I'll take you up on that bet. This is the Lord's Prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. The other man said, Oh, I thought I could trick you. You win. Here's your $10. So often when we think of the Lord's Prayer, we think of some verses collected there in Matthew or Luke about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But loved ones, you know that there is a line there that Jesus could not have prayed, and that is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You see, the true Lord's Prayer is found in John 17. John 17 is the prayer that Jesus did pray. And as we look at this prayer, we see that he had a plan in his prayer. The first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. What did he pray? He prayed that God would be glorified. In verses 6 through 19, that's what we'll cover today, he prays for his disciples. And then in verses 20 through the end of the chapter, he prays for those who would be believers after these disciples. He prays for you and I. Now think about that with me for a moment. If you count out the verses and do some math, he prays less than 20% of his prayer for himself when he is just moments away from being betrayed and arrested and crucified. Last night as we were gathering as a family, reading this portion of scripture, I asked them, if you knew that you were going to die and you had some time to pray, what percentage do you think would be about you? And they said, what I would say, 100%. But Jesus is one that even in the most critical moment of his life is actually praying for others. This this, uh, week I, I come across this obituary in my studies of a man by the name of Alan Richard Nananga. You could see the dates that he lived. He was in Colorado Springs. And in his obituary, it said that he was a dedicated witness for Christ. You read a few paragraphs down. This man spent a lot of time on the fourth floor of the hospital, and all the patients knew him as the praying patient. That is, he was dying, but he was more focused on praying for others than he was for himself. Indeed, he was a great witness for Christ. As we look at this passage today, I would remind you what the New Testament teaches us about Jesus. That when he ascended into heaven, he did not enter into retirement. This morning, he is not golfing. He is not walking some beach. He is not fishing. 
He is not sailing. You know what he is doing, church family? He is praying. Look at what it says there in Romans 8.34 in your outline. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding or praying for us. Hebrews 7, verse 25, Jesus is able to save to the outermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession or prayers for them. Now, as we look at these verses today, the second part of this prayer, there are three different things that Jesus is going to pray for his disciples, and I'm coming at it from this angle. That if Jesus right now is praying for us, very likely some of these things are overlapped in what he's praying for us. And if he has prayed for these disciples in this way, well then why wouldn't he be praying for us in this way and why ought we not to be praying for one another in this way as well? Well, there's so much to get to that there's going to be times where I can't help myself to mention other things. So let's just dive right into beginning in verse 6 because this is where we left off last Sunday. Right in the middle of Jesus' prayer, beginning in verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So the first thing we see, just kind of by way of introduction here, is that Jesus displayed God to his people. You said there in verse 6, it says, I have manifested your name. The word manifested means to reveal or display. See if you can finish this verse with me, church. John 14, verse 9. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the... That's right. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. How about John 10, verse 30, where Jesus said, I and the Father are... Well, you are with it today. That's right. You see, Jesus in his ministry was more than just teaching with words. With his life, he was displaying what God is like. So the significance of Jesus being tempted and overcoming the temptations by the word of God is a way of saying, I am more powerful than the devil and his demons. When he would cast out the demons, it was a way of saying, I have ultimate authority over all spiritual beings. When he calmed the sea, when he walked on the water, it was just to say, I have authority over all of creation, over all nature. When he healed the sick, and gave sight to the blind, and allowed the lame to walk. It was just to say, I have authority over all illnesses, physical and mental. And then when he raised the dead, and when he himself was raised from the dead, he was saying, I have authority over all, even death. So if you want to know who, what God is like, study the life of Jesus. This is what he is saying here. And then... The second part of verse 6 and the next couple of verses provide a picture of what salvation is like or what it means to be saved from sins. Let's back up and hit verse 6 again. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, 
and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. For they have received them and have come to know in truth that I've come from you and they have believed that you sent me. There's a couple of things going on here. First, we see repeatedly throughout these verses this expression, God gave them to Jesus. You gave them, these disciples, you gave them as a gift to me. We hit on this last week, loved ones. If you are a believer, if you are born again, do you realize that you are a gift from the Father to the Son? Now this has some connotations here to some of these uh, doctrinal words like election. Like God has done this. God saved this man or woman and gave that person to Jesus without any work of that person. That's what we see here. But we also see, in verse 8, that they have believed that you sent me. So there's not only God doing the work, but there's man's responsibility in believing that God sent Jesus. And so you have not only John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No man or woman, boy or girl, is ever going to say, I want to pursue God unless God does the work to start. But then you also have the responsibility of every person in John 1.12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Allow me to try to illustrate this. Probably every Sunday, something like this happens at Highland Crest or other churches in our area where a little boy or a little girl is checked into our nursery. And, and there's a nursery worker there, and, and maybe it's Jan or Jennifer, and, and she's just excited to see this child with his parents and says, oh my goodness, look at you today. We are so happy to have you. Did you have breakfast today? Mm-hmm, yes. Very good. Did you, I think I smell the, the shampoo on your hair. Did you have a bath today? I, yes, I sure did. Or, or how about this? Do you have a new outfit on today? This looks so nice on you. And here the child is only like 10 months old. Did you, did you dress yourself today? I, I, I sure did. But what has taken place over just a matter of 60 seconds is this child has lied repeatedly, right? (laughs) Because that child, that little infant, had no way in the world of getting out of the crib by itself. If left to their self, they'd still be in a smelly diaper there. But it was the dad or the mom that picked the child up out of there. It was the and fed them the the smushed carrots or whatever they had for breakfast, took them into the tub and and cleaned them and dressed them. It was the dad, it was the mom who did all the work. But they are the recipient of that work. So God gave the disciples to Jesus. The disciples believed in Jesus. But then there's this other thing here. That genuine faith was proved by obedience. And here's a a couple of statements there that you see at the end of verse 6. And they have 
kept your word. In verse 7, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Now, if you have read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the, the, what we call the Gospels, and you've read about how the disciples followed Jesus, I wonder if you would have concluded, like Jesus did, yep, they have kept, they've kept the word. Because when I read it, I just see one blunder after another. I see them getting afraid during the storm, freaking out and seeing Jesus walking on the water. I remember a time when children wanted to be coming to Jesus, and they said, don't let those children come to Jesus. Maybe one of my favorites is James and John going into a Samaritan village. They didn't want anything with the good news, and so they asked Jesus, what do you think? Should we just call fire down from heaven and burn this place up? In just a few moments, they will all abandon Jesus, and Peter will deny Jesus three times. But this is Jesus' assessment of these disciples. They've kept the word. I can't help but think that when Jesus sees you and I as he saw the disciples, he not only sees where they're at, but where they're going. And of these 11 disciples, because one of them has already left, 10 of these 11 will be martyrs. Indeed, they did keep the word. They were a gift from God to Jesus. They did believe. And genuine faith was proven by obedience. So now let's consider moving forward in our passage here. It says in verse 10, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Here's the first prayer request. Holy Father, keep them in your name. The first thing that Jesus prays for his disciples, his Father, would you keep them? Jesus prays for the disciples to be kept by God. The word kept is a shepherding term. It means to guard or protect. And you see it there. It says, keep them in your name. The word name there means your reputation or your character. God, would you, would you guard and protect my friends, my followers, in your character? The psalmist said, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Yes, they have been saved. Yes, they believe. Yes, they are keeping the word. But my prayer is, Father, that you would protect them. Where I grew up and went to high school in a small little town in northwest Wisconsin called Bruce. There was a railroad track that went right through it. 
And about a mile west on that railroad track was a great trestle bridge. It's not this one, but it wasn't much different than this one. And probably many of us know what it's like to walk across the train bridge with those railroad ties, what seems to be a couple of inch gap between each of them. And when you're an adult, that's not all that scary. But when you're a little kid and you've got little feet, it feels like you can fall through any one of those cracks. And then if you've got a bridge that's 50 feet tall, that can be very intimidating. So imagine a three-year-old girl walking with her dad across a trestle bridge like this, one railroad tie after another. She is doing all she can to hold her father's hands. But the real hope that she has is that her father is tightly gripped to her hand. Her security really rests in the strength of the Father. What Jesus is praying here is the sway of the world, the sway of sin and the devil are immense. And these disciples, as well as the people in this room, lack the ability not only to save themselves, but they also lack the strength to stay saved. Father, please keep them while they remain on this earth. The reason that I am still in the faith, the reason that you are still in the faith, is because Jesus has been praying for you to remain in the faith. And God has been gracious to answer that prayer. We're saved by grace and remain saved by grace. The second thing we see, second prayer request that Jesus has to the Father is found in verse 11, just one phrase after that. It says, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Then the next part of verse 11, that they may be one as we are one. Here's the second prayer request that Jesus offers. Jesus prays for the disciples to be one. Well, what does that look like? Well, he gives us a clue in the last few words of verse 11, as even as we are one. Jesus speaking to the Father. In the Godhead, there is God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Spirit. These are three different people with three different roles. And yet they're operating as one. And loved ones, that's the picture that we have here of how we are to go about life. We are to be one. A.W. Tozer offered a very helpful illustration. He said, you could take one tuning fork and you could tune a hundred different pianos. And you know what will happen? All those pianos will be tuned at the same level. What's happened? They've all been tuned by the tuning fork. If you tried to tune it to one piano after another, well, that would be a mess. But if you just go to the one tuning fork, that's an illustration of what it's like for us. That if we want to experience true oneness, we will tune our lives to God through Jesus, as revealed in the Spirit, as we look to the Scriptures, if we tune our lives to the very Word of God, you know what will happen? We will come together and make beautiful music, will we not? 
because our lives are tuned to him, the one main source. So we are not only praying here for Jesus to say, keep them, but also keep them together. Now there's something called denominational pride or denominational competition. I think it's legit. And I think hopefully you've observed in in recent days that what we have attempted to do is where we can partner with other churches that are preaching the same gospel we are, we want to do that. Our ladies this spring will be taking a, a ladies' retreat with other churches from other parts of the state. I think the Lord would be pleased with that. He prays that we would be one, not just as a local church, loved ones, but with other churches that preach the same gospel we do as well. Well, there's a second prayer request. Let me cover a few more verses before we get to the third and final one. It says in verse 12, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's speaking here, of course, of Judas. I've, I've guarded these disciples. One of them was lost, but the reason for that was so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Why would you believe in the scriptures? Well, there's these prophecies that took place hundreds and thousands of years before that. Let me read you a few in Psalm 41, verse 9 of Judas. Even my close friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Sound familiar? About Psalm 109, verse 8, May his days be few. May another take his office. Or Zechariah 11, verse 12, So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. In great specifics, we see these details foretelling of what, of what Judas will do. And so Jesus is saying the reason he's not with us is to fulfill the Scriptures. Verse 13, But now... I am going to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then look at verse 17. Sanctify them. In the truth, your word is truth. The third thing we see in this passage that Jesus prays for the disciples is that God will sanctify the disciples. Now, what in the world does that churchy word mean? All it means is to dedicate for a specific use. It's like an animal that's set aside for a sacrifice. It means to separate from corrupt surroundings. So this is the picture that is provided. These men, my disciples, are in the world. Think of a boat that is out in the middle of a lake. May they be protected from the water that the water would not get into the boat. Loved ones, We are in the world, but may the world not be in us. 
So he is praying here that these disciples would be set apart for specific ministry. And indeed, God answered this prayer. But may we not abuse this to the point of isolating ourselves in the name of personal holiness. It is not God's intention that would be sanctified to the point that all we do is we surround ourselves with other Christians. Listen to what John Stott said in a source that says, We must not become, as John Stott puts it, a rabbit hole Christian. The kind who pops his head out of a hole, leaves his Christian roommate in the morning and scurries to class, only to frantically search for a Christian to sit by. Thus, he proceeds from class to class, and when dinner comes, he sits with a Christian in his dorm at one huge table and thinks, what a witness. From there, he goes to his all-Christian Bible study, and he, meet, he might even catch a prayer meeting where all the Christians pray for the non-believers on his floor. Then at night, he scurries back to his Christian roommate, safe. He made it through the day and his only contacts with the world were those mad, brave dashes and from Christian activities. May we not be like that. There certainly is truth that God has pulled us out of a sinful, dirty world and he has plucked us out to clean us up. But then you know what he does? He sends us right back into the world. Now we're a homeschool family, but we cannot be just insulated in a homeschool environment where our kids only play with those in that sort of environment. As much as I love Christian camp, we can't just go up there and live. We need to be where the lost people are. Why? Why would we say that? Because we're responsible as the light. We're responsible as the salt. I don't know about you, but I love a good fish fry. I grew up, my grandma and grandpa at the farm said, let's go to Joe's for fish. I was in the car as soon as I could. I love a good fish fry. Most of the time, what's served, I think, here in Wisconsin is cod, right? But cod is not in Lake Michigan, nor is it in any inland lake. So how do you get cod from the oceans to here in Wisconsin. Now, this is what I've heard and I've researched it myself. I'm not exactly sure if all this is true, but it makes a good illustration. <laughs> Someone said, here's what you do. All you do is you just freeze that cod and then deliver it to a supper club there in Wisconsin and it'll be just perfect. But here's the problem with that. When you do that, it loses its taste. So someone said, no, what you need to do is you need to ship that cod alive. So put it in the tank, let them swim. And, and so they did that. But here was the problem with that. It got mushy. And who likes mushy fish? Not me. So another guy said, this is how you're going to do it. What you need to do is include the nemesis of the cod in that tank, the hated catfish. Put the catfish in the tank with the cod and allow them to chase the cod all around from, from where they leave to where they arrive. And you know what happened? 
The cod was firm and the cod was delicious. Now, what's the illustration? You see, we've been sent out. We've been set apart. But if we just stay isolated, you know what will happen? We'll be mushy and not taste very well. But if we get sent out to we're being chased around by some of the challenges that this world presents, we'll be firm and we'll be tasty. The world will be more likely to hear what we have to say. So what catfish are chasing you around right now? Perhaps this is what the Lord is using in your life to make you a suitable witness. I was saved at University of Wisconsin Stout in my early 20s. It had a campus of over 7,000 people, and it didn't seem like there was many Christians at all. As I look back, that was the best thing for me. There were no holy huddles for me to assemble. It was like, this faith has to be real because I'm being confronted with opposition at every turn, at every day, in the classroom and out of the classroom. Yes, we need to be set apart. Yes, we need to be sanctified, but not at the expense of our mission. In fact, that's what the word means there. Be sent in the Latin is the word that we would use for mission. Then let me just close it out in verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrated myself that they also might be sanctified in truth. Now, there's so many ways that we can apply this passage today. I think in one way, we could just ask ourselves, God, would you keep me in the faith? Would you keep my loved ones in the faith? I thank you for answering Jesus' prayer. Perhaps the, the most applicable way to apply this passage is just to be grateful that Jesus has been praying. We could also think that, Lord, I thank you for the oneness that we can experience people that are different, different roles. We can come together and tune our lives to the one sovereign Lord. And then also we could say, thank you for setting me apart. Now I understand a little more fuller why you have me at the workplace, at the school, around these people, around the sports teams and the parents around the sports teams, why I am there. You've sovereignly put some catfish in my tank and I'm not going to fight it. I'm going to say, thank you. Help me to be a light to them. I think it'd be appropriate for us to close our time right now in preparation for the Lord's prayer, rather for the Lord's supper. Now I lay me down to sleep. (laughs) Just to thank God and to thank Jesus for praying for us. His grace has saved us. His grace keeps us saved for the oneness that we experience with other believers in our church or not of our church, for sanctifying us, setting apart, and for the mission of sending us back in. Let me just pause and just say thank you for that. We won't sing a hymn of invitation right now. Let's just take a quiet moment and just offer a prayer of thankfulness. It's an amazing thought that in your kindness to us, God, you would allow the curtain to be peeled back for us to hear the Son to pray to you. It's very encouraging to know that we're not left to our own 
strength and our own devices here. But the Lord that has saved us from our sins is still intimately involved in every detail of our life and He is praying for us even at this moment. What a magnificent truth this is. And may we be praying people as we see in the example of our Lord. We want to say thank you for keeping us. We want to say thank you for letting us be a part of a family, an extended worldwide family. Help us to tune our hearts to the gospel. And then thank you for setting us apart. You're you're cleaning us up right now. and You're sending us back. Thank you for the mission that you've called each of us to. Lord, may we see these prayer requests as not only the Lord's prayer requests, but when we take them on our own and pray for others. I pray for the people that are viewing online, people here in our room today, that if they have never believed in Jesus, have never trusted in what Jesus has done on the cross for the forgive their sins, declared, Jesus, you are Lord. I want you to rule my life. That right now you would give them the faith to call out to be saved. And if that's you, loved one, call out. Say, I want to be saved. Forgive me of my sins. I want you to be the king of my life. You can do that right where you are at. Do it now. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for this great passage of Scripture. And now help us to enter into the Lord's Supper in a very meaningful way. In Jesus' name. Amen.